on Best Food Forward. He said, here's a plan to get his eczema under control. And if I was you, I'd cut out the dairy. We just thought it was a contact thing. We didn't associate it with if he actually ingested it, something bad could happen. Getting your baby ready for the all-important first supper. Taking the first few baby steps, introducing solids and managing allergies. One, two, three, four, five. Best food forward. 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 Best food forward with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. <laughs> Best food forward with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. <laughs> this is Best Food Forward, navigating nutrition through life's first 1,000 days. I'm Georgie Coglum and I'm joined by nutritionist chef and TV host, Zoe bingley Paul. Hello, hello. And from Nutrition Careline, dietitian Christine Rocha. Hi, Georgie. Today's show is about introducing food and allergenic foods into your baby's diet. We chatted with Rachel, whose first son, Mikey, was a happy, active and good sleeping baby. But early on, she noticed that it was harder for Mikey to get to sleep after a feed. And a few other things weren't quite right. When he was about 12 weeks old, he um, developed eczema. Um, He developed it on his face to begin with, and then he had it in the crooks of his elbows and also the back of his legs, and it started to spread on his legs all the way down from his toes to his thighs. It got quite bad, and we spoke to the GP about it, and she said, we'll get you booked in to see a dermatologist. He took a family history. Um, My husband's mum can't eat eggs, and she doesn't have a lot of milk. And she's been like that ever since she was a child because she had severe eczema. And dermatologist was fantastic. And he said, here's a plan for you to be able to get his eczema under control. And if I was you, I'd cut out the dairy. Rachel was breastfeeding, so she cut out dairy from her diet. When Mikey was around six months, she introduced solids. Things started to improve. He started to sleep better. He didn't scream as much and his nappies calmed down. And they basically said just to watch Mikey and if something appeared to make him upset or he had diarrhoea, then go back to your GP and discuss it with them. One day, Mikey pulled a cold cup of tea with milk in it all over himself. He broke out in an angry rash. The GP and dermatologist confirmed the allergy to the dairy. So we just thought it was a contact thing. We thought that if he touched milk, he'd break out in a rash and his eczema would come out. We didn't associate it with if he actually ingested it, something bad could happen. When Mikey was two, he um, started daycare and we filled out all the forms and we told them at the time, we said he can't have dairy. They were really great. They said it's not the first time we've encountered children who have food allergies or have eczema, don't worry, we've got it all under control. On the third day, his third day at daycare, my second day at work, um, they rang me to say, Mikey's not feeling well. And I said, oh, what's happened? They said, we're not sure, he just, he just doesn't feel well. He doesn't have a temperature, he just looks a bit red. So they gave him some antihistamine under my direction. About an hour later, they rang me. One of them actually came into work and said, come now, Mikey's in an ambulance. Um, He'd had um, an anaphylactic reaction. (laughs) 
and I ran out of work. Um, I held it together, <laughs> um, got in the ambulance and he was bright red, crying his eyes out and just as soon as he saw me he basically leapt towards me. The ambulance took them to hospital. The doctor said Mikey's anaphylactic reaction was most likely caused by dairy. They gave the family an EpiPen and sent them home. Mikey was okay and Rachel was incredibly grateful. But things at home had to change. After Mikey was diagnosed with the food allergies, which were life-threatening, we just had to be extra careful. When one of us ate something we knew that he's allergic to, you'd always be washing your hands, you'd always rinse your mouth before you could kiss or cuddle him. For example, if I had a hot chocolate and he hurt himself and fell over, I wouldn't be able to kiss it better until I'd had some water. But reading labels on things and our diet definitely was the biggest thing that changed. Um, we don't eat anything that we don't understand what's on the ingredients. And I do a lot of cooking from home. So we can actually have family meals where we just add the cheese to ours or we add the sauce to ours because he can't have the sauce. The specialists have suggested Mikey might grow out of some of his allergies. They've also recommended he does food challenges. We go down to Sydney Children's Hospital and he takes part in the food challenges for different things that he's anaphylactic to and then they give him a small amount of it to see what happens and then they gradually increase the amount they give him in that supervised environment. Um, the idea being that the more exposure he has to it, the better the outcomes will be. So he can now have baked milk, so biscuits with milk in them he can have. Um, we've also done uh, nuts and he can now have pecans and walnuts, which again we have to keep in his diet just so he has that small exposure to it. Rachel stays positive and has some good advice for parents who might be going through similar things. I I think the biggest thing is is to get as much knowledge as you can, listen to your professionals and if it's working for you then do that, if it's not working for you then look at other avenues, look at other things, suggest it to them, what about food challenges and watch your kid as well, like Mikey knows when he can't have something, He, when he was a baby he smelt things, now he's older he will say I can't have that when he has like a taste of it. And you just listen to that because they know. And it, it does get better. It's, not, it's changed our life, but it's not life-changing. And that's probably the biggest thing. Such a scary experience for that family, but they've managed to turn it around into something positive. Look, I just thought it was great when she said it's changed their life, but it wasn't life-changing. It was a, a very bad circumstance into something that was manageable and yeah. ultimately would have a positive impact on all of them moving forward. Exactly. It's a whole 360. You know, you've, you've become aware of this and now how do you move forward? Well, coming up, we're going to talk more about how to manage allergies and introduce solids. This food forward with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. This is Best Food Forward. I'm Georgie Coughlin, here with nutritionist and chef Zoe Bingley-Pullen. Hello, hello. And care line dietitian Christine Rocha. Hi, Georgie. So Rachel's allergy story is an amazing story mm. because yeah. even though this is really challenging and at times quite serious, 
a lot of families are dealing with kids who have allergies now. Why is it so common? Look, I think we're seeing it more and more on the rise, whether it be our exposure to certain foods, um, low immune system, poor intestinal gut flora. But the good thing is, is that because of the fact there is such an increase, there is so much more diagnosis out there. When there's more diagnosis, more solutions. And definitely as a nutritionist, a mum and a passionate food person, I'm seeing a lot more people being ready at armed uh, and have a good support network out there. And with Rachel, you know, I, I really love the fact that she she sought help. She, you know, had a chat with her GP when she noticed the eczema and she went and, you know, saw a dermatologist. So there is a lot of professional help that you can seek when your child is presenting with allergy. So one of the biggest questions about allergies is the theory about when we should be introducing solids. What's your information here for mums? Yeah, look, I mean, what's really important to note is how much that that has actually evolved. So we were so much, you know, the duty of care would be initially to remove all of those allergens from. But as we know, small and safe exposure is so important. If you can introduce your children to that small amount, again, in that controlled environment, it can reduce their exposure of allergens up to 70%. So we're talking vast changes. What if there is a family history of allergies? You should still expose your child to the food allergen. And it's best to not assume that your child is going to be allergic to the food, even though, you know, grandmom or dad have an egg allergy, for example. So still expose your child in very, very small doses, um, even babies that are high risk. So if mum is unsure, for example, and you're introducing, um, you know, the food allergens like nut butters and things like that, try smearing a little bit on the side of the face. I know I used to with, with my niece and my sister would just be like, what are you doing? Why is there peanut butter on my daughter's face? Keep it, keep it tidy. Exactly. And oh, that's exactly. fascinating. So, so see if there's a reaction externally yeah, first. I mean, exactly. So you, you want to sort of start off small with a very tiny amount, you know, near the lip is fine. If, if Wait a few minutes and see if there is any sort of lip swelling, any sort of eczema, hives, rashes, mm-hmm. anything like that. You seek me- medical help for that. But if there isn't anything presenting go ahead and introduce that. Give them a tiny amount of nut butter on a cracker, for example. So let's talk about, Zoe, some fun ways to introduce solids. It is a little bit of a stressful time because yeah. you you feel like you've just mastered the art of breastfeeding. <laughs> You're like, this is great. Don't rock the boat. <laughs> yep. And then suddenly my girlfriend's yeah, like, okay, change. now it's yeah. time for solids. Yeah. One thing with me is when it came to Emily, although the World Health Organization is saying six months, for me, Emily was wanting food. Like <laughs> right. She was grabbing to clip. Totally. Yeah. She was practically getting it off the plate. So right. it was something that I knew yeah. that I had to introduce as well. Yeah. So I, I went with obviously textures first, very simple things that were low allergen type foods as well. And I got a slightly introducing those. And then gradually I would combine those foods. So we might do one on one day, two days later, we might combine those foods together. So we might start with pureed avocado or, you know, some sweet potato, and then we'd mix those together. And then we'd gradually move on from that. And then we'd introduce a protein. And again, I just watch, it's very, very important that you know your child. Um, Know if it's, you know, if you're seeing redness, if you're seeing an allergic response, you need to be able to pull back. For people who are confused, I think this is a great time to keep a food diary. It's really important to sort of know, because again, we're all tired, we're all fatigued. If we do have some sort of record as to what's going on, if there has been a little bit of a digestive upset, you know, you're seeing it a couple of days later that they're, you know, more likely to have diarrhea than other things. I completely agree, Zoe. And, and you know, try it in the morning. Introduce the food in the morning so you've got the whole day Perfect. to actually see if there's yeah. any potential. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be too detailed, no. just breakfast, lunch, dinner, the snacks, things like that, um, to go over and see what exactly mm. was introduced, when yeah. was it introduced, how much was introduced. Yeah. You know, be your own investigator. You yeah, know, empower definitely. yourself and, and just... 
Yeah. Yeah. And just little things like it's not Mm. just digestion. You're looking at mood, lethargy, all those other things. So they're key indicators of your child may having a a little bit, not necessarily an allergy. It could just be a slight intolerance or it's something that maybe you need to have in smaller quantities into their diet because they might be finding it hard to digest. And that doesn't need to be really elaborate. It can just be in your diary. Yeah. Look, just gave gave them pears this morning or gave them pumpkin this morning. I remember Molly Rose had shocking nappy rash and I couldn't work out what was going on and I'd given her quite a lot of pear. And so it's the acidity of the pear was therefore making the poo really acidic and I worked backwards and went, oh, my God, I'm giving her too much pear. Yeah, yeah just cut back. And, and once yeah. I cut back, yeah. her we little body it healed and itself. And, and often in most cases we, we lean on fruit as being one of these things. High fructose content is not a great idea for, for children because, again, a lot yeah. of those times it does cause diarrhoea. So it's really yeah. making sure, and as, as you and I know, is that children are always driven towards a more carbohydrate-based diet. It's evolutionarily yes. predisposed in absolutely. us. They're wanting energy. Yeah, humans are hardwired. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Sugar, we are hardwired. <laughs> We're hardwired for, for energy-dense food, isn't it? So yes. it's really making sure that you're not just aiming for sweet because what we don't yes. want to do is we don't want to then introduce their their mechanisms or their pleasure-based mechanisms being just driven towards sweet. So it's very much combining that savoury, a little bit of that sweet. There's so many good veggies out there that have a natural sweetness to them. So how do I know when my little one is ready for solids? What sort of things am I going to be seeing? There are developmental cues that you can look out for. So things like they're sort of sitting up unassisted, you know, they've lost the tongue reflex and that's when, you know, the tongue's used to push out the food. So they've lost that. Um, they're showing an interest. You know, that's the big thing. Mm. They're sort of looking at what's on your <laughs> plate, trying to grab um, the food off your plate. And also um, my niece used to sort of put her fist in her mouth and sort of mimic that chewing mm. motion. So that's a big one as well. So, you know, watch out for these signs and every baby is different. So yeah, keep an eye on that. Well, my girlfriend's mm. second child, she was grabbing sort of the the lamb chop bone <laughs> off oh, the wow. plate. So she just Blood. started gnawing yeah. away. She bypassed yeah. all the pureed veggies. Yeah. So it was yeah. like, I'm straight going straight to the protein. So they're uh, all different, aren't they? They are all different. And look, you know, there is different timing. I mean, we're recommended that six months as sort of the introduction. And again, the first foods that we would introduce is sort of those very fine mashed puree type foods. You might put the pumpkin, the carrot into this. As they progress to a little bit older, that chewing mechanism, the ability to actually chew a little bit more, you know, that eight to 12 months, you might kind of go for more sort of a a finger food type approach. You might do things like boiled Mm -hmm. egg in this type of organisation, you know, cauliflower, broccoli, steam. So again, really better than boiling, really retain again the nutritional value and slicing the fruit. Those fruits that are easier to eat, your bananas, your papaya, your mango. um, And then, again, these carbohydrates. So the good quality grains might come into here. The ancient grains, those unhybridized grains are really, really important. So you might be going for more like kombut, spelt, your quinoas. They're fantastic grains. You've got more protein, more fiber, more B vitamins, and they taste great as well. And plus, I think it's really, really important that um, we're eating with our child. I mean, I always ate with Emily. It was one of the key things that I believe socially socialization actually introduced her to trying more food. It's interesting because yeah. it's it's very easy to default to I'll feed my baby first mm. around sort of five or six, yeah. and then we'll eat later. So, do you think from as early age as possible we should be eating with our kids? I have a daughter who is an amazing eater for lots of different reasons and, you know, we can talk more and more about it. <laughs> but it is because she's inquisitive when it comes to food and that's simply because oh. she's seen mummy and daddy eat. Well, good, mod- yeah. good modelling, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Good modelling. Yeah. Always, always the key, you know, <laughs> as uh, so many parents and myself have experienced is that it's not what we're saying, it's what we're doing that our children are following. Monkey see, monkey <laughs> do. <laughs> Funny that one. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys obviously have an enormous amount of resources because of what you do, but there are a lot of people out there that get very lost. It's yeah. very isolating when it's not 
not going right and your baby's not eating and it can become quite stressful. I think we get so paranoid about you must eat this. Mm. So where can people go to get help if they're feeling lost and it's not going to plan? If in doubt, go talk to your pediatrician, go talk mm, to your dietitian. Um, if you have any questions, you know, they will be the ones to direct you on how to sort of move forward. Yeah, I definitely think it's a key thing not to fake your way through this process. You know, you do have to get the right advice. The right advice may feel a little overwhelming at first, but it will definitely guide you in how to actually manage allergies and particularly manage that first food that your baby's eating. Thank you so much for joining me, Zoe Bingley-Pullen and Christine Rocha. Thank you. And a big thanks to Rachel for sharing her story. If you'd like more information and to get further advice, head to our website, bestfoodforwardpodcast.com with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. 